distance from somewhere. Two female voices giggle. Is there going to be a third? Does Dr. Greenspan know what he is doing or looking for? Who is this Dr. Greenspan? My back aches. I have a headache. I wait, listening for the wheels of a gurney moving to the room I am in. I wait to look up at whoever will be pushing it. I imagine a thin-haired, short, well-muscled orderly in blue, his hairy arms and a wide-band metal wristwatch. I wait for him to cheerfully say, It's time. The road from a cold, dairy queen blizzard to the hospital emergency room began five days earlier. Three people had died in those five days. There was a good chance there would be a fourth soon, a fourth who lay in a small triage room, a fourth whose odds were not looking too good. Sally Porovsky steps into the room and looks down at me. How does it look, Lou? she asks. I don't have a good answer. I try a smile. It doesn't work. She takes my right hand in both of hers. It had been bright and sunny and humid and definitely Florida when I got up healthy on Monday. Time generally seems to move slowly for me, but on Monday, the clock began to spin. Here's how it went. Chapter One No amount of sunscreen will save her, Dave said, shaking his head. I nodded and looked up at the jogger passing in front of the DQ, headed downtown. She wore shorts and a tank top, a Walkman singing in her ear, a serious look on her pretty face, her sun-bleached blonde hair bouncing against her back in a long ponytail. She made a left turn and headed out of sight toward Toll's Court, a collection of small shops and homes owned by painters, sculptors, jewelry makers, people who had once been successful in business or raising a family and now were retired and wanted to change the label they wore from no one in particular to artist. Few of the community in Toll's Court, mostly women, had illusions about breaking out and getting famous and wealthy. They enjoyed what they now were and what they were doing. They had peace, time, and identity. I cannot paint, sketch, sculpt, or draw, and I have no urge to try. Unlike the artists of Toll's Court in their brightly painted houses, I have as little identity as possible. Dave owns the Dairy Queen franchise across the parking lot from where I live and work in a walk-up office building with peeling paint and crumbling corners of concrete. The building had begun life as a two-story 1950s motel and had gradually gone downhill till it was ready for me. I'm not supposed to live in the back room of my office, but the landlord doesn't care as long as I pay my rent on time and don't complain. I don't complain. Dave looks like a dark, deeply weathered mariner, which he is when he's not handing out dilly bars, blizzards, and burgers. He owns a boat and is out in Sarasota Bay and the Gulf of Mexico whenever possible. The sun has leathered him. The boat has given him muscles and kept him trim. Dave is about my age, early forties. I like to think that with his face and bleached-out hair he looks older than I do, but I'm dark with a rapidly receding hairline that makes me look every minute of my age. My name is Lou Finesca. I live in Sarasota, Florida, where I drove a little over three years ago when my wife was killed in a hit-and-run accident. Accident is in quotes because the police couldn't find out who the driver was.
My wife was a lawyer in the Cook County State Attorney's Office, where I worked as the head of legal research. She had prosecuted a lot of people, made a lot of them and their relatives angry. Maybe it wasn't an accident, a drunken driver, a panicked kid who had just gotten his or her license, someone on a cell phone not paying attention. When the funeral was over and I had nothing left to weep, I got in my 1989 Toyota in the cemetery parking lot and started to drive. I headed south in the general direction of oblivion and the tip of Florida. I had no idea what I would do when I got there. I wasn't sure where there was. In those four days, I listened to the voices of conservative talk show hosts, Don Imus, Rush Limbaugh, Neil Bortz, Michael Savage, and the advocates of the unknown like Art Bell and Whitley Strieber, anybody who was talking. I didn't want music. I wanted company, a voice, anyone speaking whom I didn't have to answer. I listened, but I heard nothing. My car had given out in the DQ parking lot in Sarasota. There was an office for rent sign on the office building. I sold the car for $25 to a couple of kids eating hot dogs and drinking blizzards and made the first month's rent on the office overlooking the DQ parking lot and heavily traveled Route 301, which was named Washington Street for the stretch through Sarasota. Now I sat at the white, chipped enamel table with the sun umbrella with Dave talking about the sun and pretty women joggers. Dave was drinking water. I was working on a cheeseburger and a chocolate cherry blizzard, my copy of the Sarasota Herald Tribune folded on the table in front of me. The ultraviolet index, which I could never understand, was close to ten, which meant that if you stepped out into it, you'd probably die of skin cancer faster than you would of exposure in the middle of winter at the North Pole. I pulled my Chicago Cubs baseball cap down about an inch. Earlier that morning, I had biked the five blocks to the downtown YMCA, locked up my bike, showed my car, got my things out of my locker, and worked out. Pounding the step machine, fighting the leg weights, pumping, running, stretching muscles, straining arms and legs, pushing. I needed it. Not because I treasured my body, but because I could lose myself in the burn, the edge of physical pain, the satisfaction of starting at A and completing stages that took me through to Z, if I decided to go that far. At the end, I could feel what I had accomplished or had done to myself. It was finite. It was satisfying. When I was finished working out, I always showered slowly, the water as hot as I could take it, letting it beat into my head and body, drowning out voices, light, the world. It never fully exhausted me, though. That would have been an additional benefit. One of the many blessings or curses of Louis Finesca was that nothing exhausted me for very long. Not working out, not working, not too little sleep or too much sleep. I had pedaled back past the Hollywood 20 Theater, the city and county buildings on Washington, past the small shops and to where I sat now, early burger and blizzard in hand, newspaper in front of me. I sat quietly digesting my burger and Dave's observation. Dave drank his water and accidentally spilled a few drops on his white apron. My kids are coming Saturday for their annual two weeks, he said. My ex is going to Guam to study brown tree snakes. What do you do with an eight- and ten-year-old? I'll take them to Bush, 
Universal, Disney. Saturday I'll take them to first watch for breakfast. They love it. Another year or two and they'll outgrow it. Maybe. Maybe, I said, finishing the burger and giving my full attention to the blizzard, working at the chocolate that stuck to the side of the cup, careful not to break the red plastic spoon. Das es schicksal gewähren, he said. It's fate. Dave spoke five languages, all picked up when he traveled in Europe for five years when he got out of high school over twenty years ago. Dave was a quick study with not much ambition. I didn't know what fate or whose he was talking about. You know Christopher Lee speaks Russian and Greek, he asked. No, I said, finishing my drink. I checked my watch. I had an appointment I wanted to skip, but knew I wouldn't. And Kobe Bryant speaks French, Dave said. I didn't answer. Kobe Bryant, the kid on the Lakers. I talked to him once on a plane, in French. Kid had a great accent. Never finished high school. Dave was like one of the radio voices that had accompanied me when I drove. Only Dave sometimes required an answer and deserved attention, which I tried to give. You finesca, a deep voice behind me said. Dave squinted up over my shoulder. I adjusted my baseball cap and turned around. I recognized him. I'm Finesca, I said. Went to your office, the man said, nodding toward the open space on the bench between Dave and me. Man up there pointed you out. I looked up at the second floor landing just outside my office. Digger, a homeless man who used the building's restroom as a frequent refuge, waved down on me. I waved.